Today's passage is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10, and um, our brother Tom read that for us. Uh, I'd like for us to read it together again. Uh, I'll read it for us and just uh, trek along. And as these words are read, uh, let it speak to your heart um, before anything about it is even preached on. So let's, I just want to give a time for the Word of God to, do, uh, to speak for itself before... Uh, a broken man gives any kind of interpretation of it, you know. So let me just read it for us. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, and as they were destined to do, and as they were destined to do, right? <laughs> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. 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 Uh, the passage that we read together just now is divided into two portions. Uh, the first half talks about uh, Paul's analogy, I mean, Peter's analogy, talking about stones, living stones, right? And the second half, it talks about uh, the key uh, phrase that we see here is royal priesthood, talking about a priesthood, right? And I'm going to attempt to connect the two uh, through scripture today, and I want to give a little bit of context first about what we're reading here. The context is this. Who's the guy that's writing this letter? You guys know. It's in the title of the book, First Peter. So it's Peter, right? Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ, he's the one writing this letter, and it's actually really important to know a little bit about him, Right? He's writing this letter, and who is receiving this letter? In that day, in that context, when I first read this at first glance, I thought it was uh, Jews that were receiving this letter. I thought it was the Jewish church that was receiving this letter, right? But what I found is that Peter, he's actually speaking to, it's a circular letter, to churches consisting of both Jews and Gentiles, all right? These are the recipients uh, of this book. But if you, read, if you pay attention to this passage here, Peter uses a lot of Old Testament scripture here. Which means a lot of Old Testament scripture that was designated for God's people. Designated for the Jews. Right? But here, here's Peter using a lot of Old Testament scripture mainly designated for Jews, God's chosen people. And now here we are reading it again in the New Testament where Peter is speaking it to not just Jews but to Gentiles. Right? Uh, why am I sharing this little detail is uh, 
For any Jew that's not saved, for any Jew that does not believe in Jesus, is not born again, this letter and what we read here could be highly offensive to them. Because, because Jews, they believe in their chosenness, right? They believe they are the chosen people of God. But why is it important that it's Peter writing this message? It's because Peter has certain experiences, right? That got him to believe that, oh, this message of the gospel is also for the Gentiles. It's actually Peter who grew up a Jew, right? He saw, he witnessed the Holy Spirit come upon a group of Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues. He witnessed, right, that dream of the sheet coming down from heaven and all these quote-unquote unclean animals was on them and then God was saying, hey, eat the chokbar, right? Eat the sangyopsar, whatever. Eat it. Don't call what I call clean unclean. Speaking of, don't call the Gentiles unclean. What else did Peter experience? He experienced this. He went to this guy named Cornelius' house. And Cornelius was a Gentile. And he got saved. So Peter has firsthand experience of this gospel is supposed to go to the Gentiles. So Peter, because of his testimony, because of his, his, his experience, he's credible to speak to, to write this letter to both Jews and Gentiles. It was all set up by God. Right? So, with that in mind, we got to remember this. When we read the Bible, we got to recognize that all of the Bible, not just the New Testament, is about Jesus. Even the Old Testament is about Jesus. Amen? Right? When it comes to the very grand, the grand narrative, the redemption history of Scripture, zoom out for a bit and look at the whole picture. Right? It's all about Jesus and his grand redemption plan. All right? So, everything that we read, right, in the Old Testament, it's also, it's actually all a setup. A setup for something that happens later on, which is a setup pointing to Christ. That's what the Bible's about. All right? Okay, now, with that in mind, I want to read a verse in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 to 6. Right? Because we got to read this verse in the Old Testament to understand what we just read today. I'm going to read it for you. It says, now, this is Moses, right? Moses' day. Now, therefore, if, everybody say if, right? Conditional, right? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Sounds familiar, right? It's the very same words used by Peter in 1 Peter. But this time in Exodus, it's an if-then if clause. Saying it's conditional. Saying If you obey these commandments, if you obey all these things, you shall be my treasure possession you shall be my kingdom of priests but at this time right god is speaking to his chosen people aka the jews but in first peter when peter's saying it he's not just speaking to the jews he's speaking to all people all right i think i drilled that in enough all right you guys got it right <laughs> right and so these 
we read in First Peter, these living stones and this priesthood consists of all who repent and are born again and followers of Christ, a.k.a. you and I, right? It says in the beginning, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You and I, we are living stones, as the Bible says here, right? Peter said that God would build this house through living stones, and these stones consisted of all people, and Christ being the cornerstone. Christ being the most crucial stone, the stone, the main stone, the cornerstone, right? And he's also to, Christ is also what we call the rock of offense for those who do not believe. And my observation here is this. There's a lot of stony language, right, uh, in, in, in this. And that's very interesting to me because Peter, right, his name means stone, right? His name means stone. You guys remember when Jesus came up to him and he said, hey, right, upon this rock I will build my church, right? Upon this rock I will build my church, my spiritual community, right? But it's interesting because, you know, some people, they get it wrong. They interpret it saying like this. When Jesus spoke to Peter, right, on this rock, I will build my church, saying people take that to be on you, Peter, I will build my church. Right. But if you actually study the Greek, he's not actually pointing to Peter. Jesus is actually pointing to himself on this rock. I will build my church. Right. What does this mean? It means this. Jesus is the cornerstone. Peter is merely a stone. You and I are not the stone. We are a stone. Amen? Thank you, Albert, right? Now, here's the thing. Why is this important for us? How does this play out in our lives as Christians, as a community? Sometimes we exalt too much of what a stone is to be the stone in the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, in some traditions, they have exalted Peter way too high, and they have venerated him. You know what I'm saying? When he is not the stone that God's going to build, he's just another broken man like you and I. Right? You see, it's not through Peter. It's, it's through Christ. He is the stone. Right? Now, um, so that, you know, so it's, he's not saying, I am the stone, I am the stone. Okay, I'm lost. All right. Like Peter, okay, here we go. Like Peter, we are all living stones. With Christ being the cornerstone that holds us all together, things fall apart when a stone becomes the stone, right? Replacing Christ in his leadership, in his rule and reign. Amen? Right? And the language that Peter's using here, the spiritual house is a temple language, right? In the Old Testament, the temple was a place where the manifest presence of God dwelt, and the people of God went to a place. The temple was a place. But in the New Testament, the temple is not a place. The temple is a people. Right? You and I are a people. Living stones, building up this house, building up this temple. All right? Now, a long time ago, in the 16th century, like Martin Luther. You guys know a guy named Martin Luther. He was an old school reformer. Right? He, he, um, he did a lot of cool things, right, to build our faith and form our doctrines in Christianity today. Martin Luther, right? There's a day he couldn't stand it anymore. He was reading the Bible, and then something didn't line up with practice 
of the Roman church. So he wrote this document called the 95 Thesis, right? And he nailed it to a wall in Wittenberg, right? He nailed this, and there's so many things that he challenged, doctrines that he challenged because of the practice of the Roman Catholic Church. One of the practices that he confronted was this issue that we're talking about right now. When we exalt the human being way too high, right? Martin Luther, he coined this term, and I love this phrase, phrase, right? He coined this phrase, the priesthood of all believers, He coined this, the priesthood of all believers, all right? He said, no believer has greater access to the creator than any other. This word priest should become as common as the word Christian, because all Christians are priests. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, priest or priestess? I don't know. (laughs) All right. Awesome, awesome. He said also, for whoever comes out of the water of baptism can boast that he is already a consecrated priest. Although, of course, it is not seemly that just anybody shall shall exercise such office, right? Luther was saying, all baptized believers are priests, but not all are called to be pastors, right? You see, pastors, right, we're talking about the functional role in the church. Just because somebody has a functional role in the church right, does not mean that title, right, elevates anybody else in front of God, which means just because anybody has some kind of title does not mean that person can hear the voice of God any better than anybody else here in this room can hear the voice voice of God. We all have equal access here. Amen? That's what Martin Luther was pointing at here. Because in those days, people had to go through a priest, a one person exalted to communicate to God. Something was, was fishy, right? Now, um, the, this passage we read, it points out that we should not elevate ourselves or others because of their role and expression of service. But also, all right, get this. Also, we should not decrease or lessen ourselves in who we are, as the Bible calls us, priests. Right? I'm going to say that again because this is really important. If there's anything I want us to remember here is this. Us as a church, according to the scripture, we should not elevate any, like, stone, right? We should not elevate them because we're a priesthood of all believers. But at the same time, guess what? That is inevitable in our culture if all of us don't recognize and take our place as priests. You know what I'm saying? So our passivity as priests, it has direct effects to forming a culture where we can venerate somebody else and see them as higher. So what Peter's saying, we are priesthood of all believers. That's what Martin Luther was getting after here. Amen? Now, priesthood of all believers. And Wayne Grudem, he says this, the believer is his own priest before God. He does not need any mediator except his great high priest, Jesus Christ. There can no longer be an elite priesthood with claims of special access to God or special privileges in worship or in fellowship with God. Amen. You know, sometimes I visit my family. I have a lot of uh, relatives here in Korea. And I visit them here and there, especially in the time of Chuseok and Seollar. Right? And they're Christian. They believe in God. 
some of them, or the Christians gather, right? And in the morning of Chuseok, or in the morning of Sola, we gather together, we, we eat a lot. Before we eat, we have a worship service, a family service, right? And every single time I go there, even if I went there today, the same thing happens. You know what happens? We sit there, and my relatives say this, Jonah, 우리, uh, 우리 가족 기도해 주세요, right? Pray for our church, pray for our family. Can you pray blessing? Can you pray favor? Can you pray that God was get, would give us this, this, and this? You see, I have no problem with praying that. But you know what else they say? Because one time I was like, you know, let's pray together. Let's try praying together. You know what they said? You went on a mission trip last week. You're a pastor. So you have more favor on your life. And I'm like, oh, when I hear this, I get so frustrated. I try to communicate. Them, no, that's not true. That's not true. You know, like God hears your voice. God loves you. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on your title. We are equal standing with God. He hears your voice. He loves you as, as, you know, as much as he loves me, all of us. You know, I try to say these things, but every time I go back, it's just in like a paradigm, a mindset, right? Of works-based righteousness, works-based favor that is consumed in the mind. You know, living stones, we're not all just called to be individual stones, right? We're called to be living stones. The Bible says to build up a what? A spiritual house, right? It's not just we're all called to be individual priests, but we are a priesthood. A priesthood, like a brotherhood or a sisterhood. There is a togetherness that is implied here in Scripture. So we can't do this whole Christian thing on our own as separate stones, as separate, like, I don't know, priests. We are a priesthood. We need each other. We got to individually surrender and allow God, God, here I am as a living stone, you know, do what thou will. Do what you will. I don't speak like that to God, but like, do what you will with me to build your house. Amen? Now, there's five things I want to point out. Um, I'll go quick, I think, right? Five things I want to point out of what a priestly lifestyle looks like. All right? The first is this. Very important. is priests have access. All right? Everyone say Access. We have access to his presence. Every single one of us, we have the same access to his presence, all right? As much as an Old Testament priest did. We have that same access, all right? One of the things we often take for granted, and I venture to say the greatest thing that we often take for granted is actually our access into God's presence, right? We take it for granted, we know he's everywhere, right? We know we could enter in any time, right? But a lot of times we got to pause and we got to remember what caused this access for us. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and his body was torn, at the same time when he said it is finished, there was a thick curtain in the temple that was torn as well, signifying that when he tore the veil, that's when the priesthood of all believers began. That's when we all have access to his presence. Amen? 
And then it's the righteousness of Christ that is imputed onto each and every one of us that gives us access to his glorious presence. That's why Hebrews says we could, uh, we could approach the throne of grace in confidence. The priesthood of all believers vanquished hierarchy, class, and separation. No matter what occupation or place in a community, we all have the same access to the royal invitation to be a priest. Amen? Now, priests in the Old Testament, if you read about them, one of the, thing that, one of the things that they were most meticulous about was actually um, consecration. Everyone say consecration. Consecration just means being set apart and dedicated. To consecrate, for a priest to consecrate themselves, they would go through all these rituals to set them apart so that they can enter in. Right? But for New Testament priests, right, consecration is different because we don't consecrate ourselves to enter in. Because we already have access, right? You see, when I, when I think about this word consecrate, I think of whenever retreats come up, right? Whenever like a big church event comes up, uh, sometimes there's a call to consecrate ourselves as a community. A time to set ourselves apart, to get ready for this event. I think that's very much needed, and it's really important, and we should continue to do that, right? But... What would it look like if we can consecrate ourselves not just for an event, but if we were to consecrate ourselves for just a person? Just simply to know him more. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I got to be honest myself. The only times I fast and consecrate myself is for God to do something at an event. But what if I just lived a lifestyle of consecration just to know a person? You know? Consecration is this. It's simply, it, it is simply this. Going from, going so, uh, letting go of something that is good for the pursuit of something that is better. Right? It may come in the form of fasting. Consecration is setting our hearts to our spirit's desire. It's taking measures to detach from something that may possibly be that which we depend on in order to cling to that which is better. Amen? So priests have access, priests consecrate for the sake of intimacy. Amen? All right. Now, third is this. Priests serve. All right? Priests serve. Another word for priest is minister. Minister means one who serves. Right? If you read in the Old Testament, all priests, they all have individual roles. They all took part. In serving, right? For all of us here, we're all called to serve, right? We are living stones meant to build up each other, right? Can we allow God to build us up into the spiritual house we're meant to be, right? The thing about priests is this. When you look at a lifestyle of a priest, their life is geared toward this. They don't live their life to actually get Priests live their life to actually give. That's the lifestyle of a priest. Right? So we are called to serve. But at the same time, when we come from the place of serving, without the objective of getting, guess what happens? We get. We do get. I'm reminded of the, 
the disciples when they, they, they saw the crowd of 5,000 people. And then they said, these people are hungry. But Jesus says, then feed them. You feed them, right? And they multiply the food. And then they serve all these 5,000 people. And I love that it doesn't end there. I love the fact that at the end of that story, at the end of that passage, there are 12 baskets full of bread waiting for them. You know? There is a reward for service. Right? There is a reward. Fourth is this. Priests intercede. Priests intercede. They are mediators. Right? They stand in the gap on behalf of the people and on the behalf of their nation. They, cont- they contend for God to have mercy and grace upon the corporate whole. Priests speak to God on behalf of man. Prophets are the opposite. Prophets, they speak to people on the behalf of God. Right? Priests, they speak to God on the behalf of man. Right? I want to read this quote. It says, intercession is not just prayer. It's gap standing, taking on the authority of the new priesthood and applying the blood where it is needed. In keeping with another definition for interceding, to attempt to reconcile the differences between two people or groups, we are praying for the reconciliation of people to God. We are crying out for the mercy for those who have not known Christ, praying fervently for their eyes to be open to the Lord. Amen. If you didn't catch this, I'm going to say it now. I'm casting vision for our church. As we're moving forward, right, into the new chapter as we merge. The reason why I'm preaching from this passage is because I want to cast vision to what Scripture says of how God calls us to be a priesthood of all believers. Priests have access. Priests enter into His presence. Priests intercede. Priests Serve. Priests build up. And lastly, priests sacrifice. Amen? Priests sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. And in the passage we read in First Peter, it says, that we are a royal priesthood, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Right? What does it mean to be to sacrifice as a priest? There's a lot, right? And we're just gonna skim over just three. One is a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise. Psalm one nine, Psalm one sixteen seventeen. It says, "I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord." As priests, we're called, you know, to be a house of worship. We're called to give that sacrifice of praise. Why is it called a sacrifice? Because in this life, day in and day out, Monday through Saturday, we face what we call resistance. Whenever there's resistance. It's a sacrifice to praise God. That means as, as a corporate whole, when we get together, we sacrifice. We let incense rise, you know? And two, it's the, uh, first is sacrifice of praise. Second is sacrifice of our blessings. The things that God has given us. In the Old Testament, they talk about many different offerings. One of them is a burnt offering. That's something that we don't have to do anymore. Because Christ and Him alone was sufficient enough 
to be that burnt offering for us. But the other, other offerings, they were voluntary offerings. They're under this umbrella called thanksgiving offerings. Peace offerings, grain offerings, wave offerings, all these different offerings. And I don't have, to, I don't, I don't have time to go into every detail of it, but these offerings were voluntary expressions of dependence upon God. Expressions of thanksgiving unto God. And what does that mean for us today? It means this. That we, when we live out our priestly callings to sacrifice, it also comes in the form of radical generosity. Radical generosity. Priests give, not just to God, before each other. Right? Priests sacrifice. Right? Not only just our tithing. I would venture to say that our tithing, our 10%, you know, worship actually begins when we give offering, which is that which we give after our tithing, right? That's the way that I see it. Right. So here it is. To close, I just want to point out that Jesus was the first and he is the great high priest. Right? Jesus in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priesthood hood was done away with and that act that Jesus did ushered us in to a New Testament priesthood. Or the points that I said, Jesus himself, he lived a consecrated and set-apart life. Jesus himself lived out his access and connection with intimacy with the Father. Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is the great high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. Jesus is our great mediator and intercessor, even today. He makes intercession for us. And guess what? Jesus invites us and brings us into this priesthood. And he calls us to follow his footsteps. New Philly, we're called to be living stones and live out our priestly identities. And as we move forward, I ask us to consider what we read today. You don't have to remember anything I preached, but remember the passage itself. Let the words of Scripture sink in itself and let the Holy Spirit speak to you of what this passage is saying. And I know all of us are here at this church because we believe in what God's doing despite everything that we've gone through. And as a brother, I just want to encourage all of us. Let's do this together. Amen? Let's build this house. Let's make ourselves available to God to build His spiritual house. Let's live out our priestly callings. Get into the secret place. Enter in. You know, let's, let's ask God to give us a heart of intercession. We can't move forward without prayer. I know that's been on pause corporately for a while, right? But I'm trying to bring these, bring these things to light once again. Because I don't know about you guys, but I am yearning for the church to be the church. And for excitement to fill this house once again. Amen? All right, I'm going to read the passage one more time. I'll close us in prayer. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah, God... We just thank you that you have given us identities not just as sons, not just as a new creation.
There's so many identities that you've given us, but we thank you that you have invited us to join in this priesthood of all believers. I thank you, God, that you have given us authority. You have given us access. You have given us the privilege to serve. God, you have given us so much, God, for the sake of building up and tending your body. So, Lord, we declare your name, Jesus, as the cornerstone and you alone. God, I pray, would you give us sober vision on how to view one another, that we would honor one another, outdo one another in showing honor, but at the same time, we would not exalt each other way more than we should. At the same time, help us to know the privilege of our identities and to live out our priestly callings. We lift all these things up to you, God, our cornerstone, our hope, our shepherd, our leader, the one who's the author and perfecter of all things. We trust you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.